This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast, the Aston Villa podcast, formerly known as the Invincibles podcast, until a certain game against Leeds. Joining me for a uh, look back and a look ahead, Mr. Dan Rogers from the Villa Underground. Hello. Mr. Chris Bird. Hello. Freshly back from Hull. Hey up. And over across the, what's that stretch of water called, the Irish Sea? Soon to be bordered Irish Sea, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Phil Shaw, welcome back. Hello. So if, if you are not uh, my own sub patron, then you missed our reaction show. So in this episode, we will uh, expand uh, upon that. Although I don't know how we're going to expand on uh, Phil Shaw's analogy about the game being, uh, what was it again, Phil? It was like a twister and a, a flying cow. It was, well, it was just the, the eye of the storm, wasn't it? So weathered the, the first bit of it in the first half, walked outside, thought everything, everything was fine, and then forgot to go back inside when we got hit by the, the, the cow in the middle of the tornado that was Bamford. <laughs> <laughs> the BBC's uh, text coverage, uh, for those people who uh, didn't pay for view or didn't uh, stream illegally, uh, and had to uh, go through uh, the BBC tech service, you, you wouldn't have known what the hell was going on. 19th minute, a delightful bit of skill from Jack Grealish, who cushions a long ball upfield with the outside of his boot and knocks the ball past Matty Cash. Esri Konza is there to cover and deny Grealish the chance to finish off a great bit of play. I think it sounds like Villa were their own worst enemies here. Well, we haven't heard that before, have we? 23rd minute, BBC are talking about Leeds' chances and then said Villa have just won. Ross Barkley's long-range effort, which never troubled Emil Martinez. So how can you uh, be the allegedly the most respectable, uh, let's say, media institution in the country, and your match coverage is all about a team attacking itself, playing against itself? It's completely bizarre. Maybe they knew what was to come, is that we were, we were self-harming and that the inevitable, was, <laughs> the inevitable cow flying was imminent. Yeah, anyway. Right, coming up in the show, uh, we'll go through uh, the Villa news from uh, this 25-man squad, which was announced. Two uh, ID ticketing concerns. 
of three points we'll look at an update on project big picture ajax managing to eclipse villa's uh, huge win this season and also uh, mr pele has uh, evolved from a football player to a viagra salesman to a uh, to a singer now and uh, after that, we will get into uh, the main bit of the show and look at the Villa thus far in the context of the Leeds game and what we learnt from that. And under an overrated, we're just going to do one player, certain Turkishman that used to play for us, Mr. Alpi. Right, Villa news. Uh, Aston Villa submitted their 25-man squad for the Premier League season ahead. No real surprises apart from, well, I don't know if this is a surprise, but Henry Lansbury was admitted from that squad, so won't be featuring uh, in the Premier League. Uh, also, uh, Kalinic was included in the squad, which uh, gives that 25-man squad four goalkeepers to choose from, which uh, you should really have three, really, shouldn't you? doesn't say a lot about your prospects as, a, as an outfield player when, when a fifth of the pick <laughs> goalkeepers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, suggest they were trying to or had expected to offload him. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, in terms of getting rid of Lansbury, it's a, the fact that he's on a kind of a decent wage, and they didn't get rid of him before this window suggests uh, they've probably had that negotiation where they wanted to make a press release and say, oh, we mutually have terminated uh, his contract. But uh, I think any offer that's been coming to Lansbury, he's turned it down so far if there has been one based on the fact that uh, his wage is kind of too good and uh, they'll probably try to do it again in January. It's a bit more of a shock there that a rehab and Wesley still gets a a squad place and Lansbury doesn't. Yeah, and that that sparked people into thinking that Wesley was incoming, but uh, you you won't see him before the new year, I would uh, venture. Also, uh, Villa fans have uh, got on the bandwagon of making contributions to the local food bank in Aston instead of uh, paying fourteen ninety five uh, pay for view, which uh, I think all of uh, the Premier League clubs are doing it now. And I mean, it's the perfect statement to make, really, uh, because that price is kind of morally bankrupt in the context of uh, the, the kind of time we're in at this moment. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, I mean, behind the scenes, broadcasters, uh, they don't actually want uh, to screen these games because they're copying a lot of flack for it. Uh, but, you know, Premier League clubs make the final decision in the end as they're the rights owners. And I think they're actually meeting uh, this forthcoming week to uh, further discuss what to do uh, because I think the first month or so was uh, like a trial. Uh, I mean, at the same time, you've got the Letters Watch campaign where fans are led by the Football Supporters Association have actually campaigned pain to see these games so uh i thought about this when this was happening it was like yeah you should maybe specify let us watch but how you want to watch because you're kind of setting up an open goal here for uh, the broadcasters to slot home and charge what they want because they're suddenly seeing people demanding it's like uh, asking to uh watch these games so they think yeah you know slap an extra five room well i think some of the bigger clubs have such enormous global fan bases that they could probably get away with it you know like for instance with like man united they could tap into the asian market and that they would pay per view for their games i know they do on mutv don't they which is why you yeah. know when we played them in the friendly we had to pay tenner to watch it and you have to pay that's to watch why it's been such a, and stuff. it's been such a a huge own goal, own goal by the by the broadcasters, but also the Premier League, is that this could have slipped under the radar as as a as a micro payment type program. I think that you know going in at fifteen quid to me for something that they already broadcast to a to a global market in in the current climate is so ill judged 
so ill-judged. But at, at the same time, with them knowing full well that they, they have plans, well, the, the larger teams anyway, have plans to uh, to form their own league. So, you know, it's all about money, greed and avarice. And, and uh, yeah, I, I'd rather send my money to a, to a food bank than... Uh, the but the interesting thing is they they could have charged a tenner and that would have still been taking the piss. But I don't think they'd have oh, had, I agree. they would have had an uproar, would they? They kind of went over that uh, acceptable take the piss level, really. Yeah. Well, no, I think the angle is that no one expects something for free, but it, it did creep into that take the piss when, as I say, you, you know, you, if we've all been fortunate enough to, or unfortunate enough at times, to have to consume Villa from different parts of the world. You know damn right, you just, it's the red button job. You can flick it on and you can pick your Premier League match and it's within a package. But to, to, to slam 15 quid on it was, uh, well, I think it puts it back, it puts this this format of, of consuming football in the UK back at a time when you can't get in the ground. I mean, yeah. huge Right, anyway, up. let's move, move on. Uh, in terms of getting back in the ground, uh, Aston Villa, just out of nowhere, put out a release saying you have to upload photos to your ticketing account. Oh, triggered. In terms of with a view of uh, enforcing social distancing and COVID tracking, you know, because I'm on the uh, Football Supporters Association Council, I can ask other fan reps of other clubs. A couple have said it's been mentioned in previous meetings, and a lot of these clubs have had a lot of meetings over this uh, COVID period, and uh, Aston Villa Fan Consultation Group hasn't had one meeting. Uh, We actually have a meeting with Christian Perslow uh, this week, but, uh, you know, there should have been at a time where, you know, there's never been a, a bigger time to have fan consultation in terms of, you know, fans not knowing what's happening and not having any input or inkling of, uh, you know, how the picture looks going forward. And yes, you know, the club have to talk to X, Y, or Z and wait for government protocol. But at the same time, you've you got to canvas the fans for their input and what they're thinking. And if you're going to put out a survey, maybe tell the consultation group, how many people it's going out to because when fans are asking you you know i'm a season ticket holder but i didn't get this survey you know when why not then at least you can say well it was a sample size or whatever but you know we have no consultation no knowledge of anything and we get an email essentially saying oh we're, we're going to have a special meeting about uh, fans returning to the club and we'll present the plan to you and it's like oh present the plan or oh, thanks for the the opportunity for consultation where we could have got all fans you know views into this but uh, hey ho Meanwhile, Spurs have had about 10 meetings uh, so far. Presume if it's COVID-related, they'll, they'll accept the photograph with a mask on? Yeah, well, this is the question. So, uh, I mean, we're not going to go into it uh, full scale here, but there's, uh, you know, 35 years of uh, fighting fan IDs and from the point of view that uh, why is there any football fans that have to have fan IDs? Exactly. And, you know, exactly. You go about your life. You know, your entire life and you, you think of all the, the whole idea that the football fans and we, we get treated differently in every every single category. It's like we're separated from society repeatedly. Uh, yeah. It just struck me that how actually how few things that you need to provide ID for, you know, huge financial transactions, passports, driving licenses and, and football. Tickets for any football. sport. Yeah. Nah. Come on. And whether you need it for COVID tracking, I mean... They don't. They don't It kind of helps, but you don't really. They don't need it. And it's this gentle creeping football. Yeah, it's it's to get it into the back door because I yeah. know that, uh, you know, the ticket office and department would love it just in terms of the away ticket allocation, really, to stop black market. Yeah, well, but there are other ways of dealing with that. And what we're really talking about is the, is the away scheme being a lockdown club, aren't we? The, that, that's always, that needs sorting. But that's sortable without everyone uploading their picture. And yeah, 
you know, actually just being brave enough to say that we know that you're passing your tickets on is is, is the way to do it. Yeah, I mean, there's some people who said, right, well, I'm not going back to Villa Park ever again. Well, there's an elephant in the room with, with football behind closed doors is that there are, there are a great many things about going to Villa Park that you miss. There's a long list of things about going and attending football around your civil liberties and all the shit that you have to put up with that I haven't missed, to be honest. But, yeah, no, exactly. Especially, um, <laughs> especially when you go away from home. Mm, absolutely. You know, when you get, you know, you, yeah. I mean, every, I think most people who've been to an away game or sat in the back of the upper hole tent have had a policeman walk up there with a video camera on you the whole game. Yeah. Anyway, we'll see. But you know, the club, no consultation. Is it temporary? I think once it's in, they'll they'll try to keep it in there. Well, when has when has anybody ever had their civil liberties given back to them? Well, yeah, exactly. Any other age bracket teams that are under twenty threes? Uh, Carney Chuck Mueka has signed a pro deal after impressing uh, in recent under-23 games. Uh, Louis Barry scored a couple of goals. He's actually a lot smaller than I uh, yeah. thought he was looking at him play this season. Also, uh, the under, uh, under-18s under are actually doing quite well. We have bought quite a lot of uh, 16-, 17-year-old players, so uh, I would imagine they're pretty strong. And uh, it would be interesting to see uh, those you know how those players are tracking over the next year or two as well. Yeah, well, they were very, very ambitious, weren't they? When um, you know, Harrison came in from West Brom and he brought his team with him, and uh, they've obviously scoured the the European market for the you know the, the best, the bright and the best young things to hopefully you know have a bit more homegrown talent, really, rather than having to go out and buy expensive, re- you know, first team ready players. It's been pleasing to see because it, it, the academy at that, that level has gone from being you couldn't name a single player, or you know, you didn't really know where they were at or who was the promising ne- next promising player. To they've got a, a group of players through this summer who it's for the first time there's a little bit of interest and um, a change in tact really in PR as well. I noticed they're starting to push some of the faces through, so you you know they trying to bridge that gap between academy and first team very early so yeah it's a bit dangerous though because Mm. uh, people start get a whiff of a name and they start campaigning for them uh, straight (laughs) away especially when you get like one (laughs) without any real knowledge of football not knowing uh, i mean you just have to look at the efl trophy and uh you know see these players getting absolutely spanked by the likes of fleetwood and Sunderland. Sunderland. Well, it's only, it's, it, it, it puts everybody back into the usual thing of, you know, that any of these young 16, 17, 18-year-olds are only one good YouTube clip away from having the, the whole yeah. fan base demanding that they're starting. You've also got to remember that it wasn't that long ago when, uh, you know, Villa's youth team were the best in Europe after winning the next gen, beating Chelsea in the final in uh, near Lake Como. And we didn't really capitalise on being the best in Europe uh, at that level. I mean, you're, uh, I think Grealish of that squad was probably the, I mean, there's Gary Gardner, didn't really work out for him. And then the rest of the boys are uh, kind of cast adrift here and there. But as we've always said, there's a massive disparity between the but the Premier League and then uh, youth level. Yeah, well, I've been I've been keeping an eye on Vasilev uh, at Burton, and most of the reports on him is they're playing him out in the wing. But any chance he's got, it's straight at the keeper or dragged it wide. So it's, it's early mm. days, but it, it can only be good to get them out and loan to see what the real world's like. Yeah, yeah. Right next to three points, uh, project big picture seems to be uh, kind of morphing into different things. I mean, going on behind the scenes for uh, you know three or four years now is this European Super League, and uh, that seems to be still in the shadows, uh, kind of evolving in different forms because they're really taking advantage of this COVID situation and they you are. know using yeah. the EFL's position, their their kind of begging bowl position as a way of leveraging uh, their ideas. I think there has to be 
ultimately there has to be some change in the way this uh, you know English football is set up. Yeah, and it's the the format also for the of, of pay per view TV and or, or subscription football where the, the fan has no intention of going to the ground has been has proven to be a viable model. You know, that doesn't make it right. It's not what I want to see, but that it's it is given them a and a stronger negotiating position that is actually viable for the top European teams. Yeah, it is a worry. Point number two, Ajax managed to uh, top Villa's uh, impressive 7-2 win by uh, chalking up their record score, beating, very unlucky for VVV Venlo, beating them 13-0 after being 4-0 up at half-time. Then in the second half, they just went absolutely ballistic, a bit like Leeds, uh, really. Uh, they had 45 shots on goal, is that right? Was that just Patrick Bamford had 45? Oh, no. Yeah. no, no, sorry, I'm still talking about Ajax, Ajax. <laughs> 23 on target. I went uh, just, just under two years ago to uh, watch Ajax versus De Grafstadt. And they won won eight nil on that day, and there was two hat tricks, Daily Blint and uh, is it Hakim Zayek? But you know that league's uh, woeful. Yeah, there's a couple of uh, teams at the bottom, uh, which uh, are, whipping are just boys. It. But anyway, well, well done for them. Hopefully, uh, we'll play each other in Europe next season. <coughs> uh, moving on to point number three, as I said earlier on, Mister Pele, who I've actually interviewed once upon a time, known. Uh, I think they did some, was it some poll recently, and uh, he managed to still stay number one player with Messi, number two, Ronaldo, number three, and Maradona now number four. He has now released a single at the age of eighty, which is just kind of a bizarre thing. Like Rodrigo and Gabriela, who music fans will know as the uh, the Mexican uh, guitar duo, and they managed to sell out arenas around the world, so they're kind of a big thing. They've done the track, but it's like Pele singing over it about it's a song about a football curse from what i can gather i mean is it is it based on wesley or is it how, how is it how is it <laughs> is it wesley and louise because he's talking about <laughs> the lyric hey see that goat he's it talking costs... to johan langer at this point yeah. by the way it's <laughs> just <a> sales pitch <laughs> yeah it costs seven thousand reals just give me the money and I'll make a deal. And then he says, see that African chicken? It costs, who's he talking about there? Uh, Samata? It costs <laughs> 4,000 reals. So just chill out because this spell never fails. Wow. It sounds bonkers. <laughs> but absolute this bonkers. is one of these songs that's really psychedelic, isn't it? I reckon he was smoking something that day. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it's one on to listen a- to when you're smoking something. On, on his 80th birthday. But, and there's lots of footage of him missing things. And I think when you look at it, Pele is actually more famous for missing. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it shows you the, the pitfalls and making a highlight reel without any end product. <laughs> <laughs> Pele also known for uh, being quite prolific uh, in terms of uh, shagging around, allegedly, <laughs> and uh, having daughters that he didn't know about. I, th- I think I put up uh, the interview I was at, and uh, that was the big revelation that he didn't e- even know that he had a daughter. And it was, uh, I mean, this was a few years ago, but... Uh, she was, uh, I think, in her twenties when she came a calling. So he's, uh, hey, Pele, he's a bit, bit of a boy. Sounds like Gavin. back in the day. Oh, the New York Cosmos. They used to have this thing uh, when they were in the hotel after games or before games. Uh, the code was if they were entertaining for the night in the hotel room because they would obviously double up. So if uh, somebody had struck it lucky 
and the other guy was still out who was sharing the room, they would leave a bottle of ketchup outside to show they were entertaining. That was the Earth uh, Code. So Pele obviously uh, used to come to the hotel with a suitcase of uh, ketchup. Loads of little sachets. That would be the modern equivalent. <laughs> Weatherspoon sachet. <laughs> yeah. Right, before we go on uh, to the main bit, I just want to, as usual, say a big thank you to all of my old man said patrons. Uh, a, that join us in Match Club, and also that keep the... Uh, show going and independent just want to say a big thank you for uh charnath shritel apologies if i can't pronounce any names this is the part of the show that gives me f- the fear adam shretter shrita n pats so i'm got a christian name for you mr n pats chris bollard hugh jarden joss tibbets will bowden green and phil mccrevis thank you very much well for signing <laughs> he's got it in there <laughs> shit <laughs> he's back <laughs> he's been very quiet you can uh, sign up uh, and this gets you uh, entrance into match club and also access to uh, extra offers and also uh, podcasts we actually put out a uh, match reaction uh, which was actually better than this show uh, to be honest so far anyway and david i just want to stop you there when you you're not going to talk about huge yard on <laughs> Well done. <laughs> thanks, thanks for your contributions. You've just been sitting there in silence waiting for this uh, Yeah, I'll be off now. Cheers, guys. <laughs> <laughs> also, you can uh, actually now sign up uh, annually and save uh, 15%, which is works out as two months. So thank you very much, Barry O'Donnell, Derek Brennan, and also Richard Palmer for signing up annually as well. Uh, if you want to join us, please do go to myomensed.com and Click on the Patreon links for more details on how to sign up. Right, on to uh, the Leeds game. We discussed it in the Patreon podcast, so let's uh, now expand on a few themes. Just quickly, I think Le- Leeds fans in four days raised £10,000 uh, uh, for food banks instead of uh, pay per view on this game but in terms of playing leads uh we're in this position where we've won for we win this or we just avoid getting beat and we go top and like leicester before and liverpool before it was a very good time in terms of key players being out to play leads also for a team that runs around like blue ass flies and uh that is a big part of their game we had actually they had one less game re you know, recuperation as because they played Monday. So it was like, you know, you couldn't pick a better time to play Leeds to have a, for them to have a game on Monday and then play them on a Friday night. I mean, but also they've, you know, they're losing uh, Phillips, their kind of main man, the captain, Liam Cooper, Diego Lorente, uh, their centre back, three, you know, key, key first 11 players. And, you know, you look at Leeds and it was you, Phil, I think said this, you know, is there a player in their first 11 that you, that could get into Villa's first 11. Yeah, it's no disrespect to any of the Leeds players, but apart from Rodrigo, their overpriced Spanish striker, if you go down it, you're you're talking less than 10 million per per player. I mean, yeah. why less to be fair? Yeah, I mean Stuart Dallas, I mean it just shows the job that Bielsa has done. I mean, I've seen Stuart Dallas playing for Crusaders in the Irish League, and while he was very fit and very willing, you just didn't see him being where he is now and it's 
a credit to him and the credit to his manager that now he, he doesn't look out of place in the Premier League. Yeah. So anyway, so that was the, the setup. You know, meanwhile, Villa were going into this game, as I said, needing to avoid defeat to go top, needing to win to get, uh, which is something they've never done before, which is win five top tier games on the trot. They're opening five games. Also, you know, in the back of their minds, they're thinking, well, you know, Leeds have lost to Wolves there. They got beat by a Liverpool 4-3, you know, who we actually beat 7-2. So, and, and fans starting to talk about this as a potential banana skin, which suggests that they thought, you know, we're obviously uh, favourites for this. But there was a bit of complacency. I remember when it was about to kick off and Leeds are in their little uh, group hug. And I think we do it, but I don't know if we did it before this game. I just saw, you know, Villa players ready when Leeds were doing their huddle. You know, that moment I just thought, yeah, they, you know, these these dudes are going to be up for this, aren't they? And this will be an, an interesting test to see if Villa can uh, fight fire with fire or actually put the fire out and uh, dictate the game. And I thought the first 45 minutes were, it was an intriguing contest. I mean, probably the best, apart from the Liverpool, you know, anomaly, which was just crazy. It's one of the best 45 minutes I've seen Villa involved in for, uh, you know, probably this season and, uh, you know, a long time. It was a good game of football. You know, it was two very, very contrasting styles, wasn't it? You know, Leeds were sort of all pace and power and loads of willing and, and Villa sort of eased their way in and towards the end of the first half got into the game. You know, for all the Leeds huffing and puffing, Villa actually had the best chance. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, picking up on some of the points I made in the the, the reaction pod, really, that I, I thought the first half was a. I mean, the two halves contrast our season. I think and linked in some of of our struggles the back end of last. The first half, we, you know, it, these games come down to singular moments, really, and you know, you just talked about almost the the, the chaos of or the the just the madness of that Liverpool game and and uh, Phil's described Leeds' style as chaos as well on the previous pod, and that, that does resonate with me, but. I do think that there are singular moments like the Trezeguet gets through on goal from a misplaced Leeds pass, chooses to go the wrong way. You don't like Trezeguet, do you? I, I just you think keep, it's fine. I think it's you always talk <laughs> about him in a in a condescending tone. I think <laughs> how dare you? How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> I just think I think he is the son of our. He is the king. <laughs> I I just think it's fine margins in the Premier League, and it's the difference between a record-breaking five straight Premier League wins on on a weekend where Everton lose. Uh, and I think it's also about tempering expectations. It reminds us that where we are, you know, we were on twelve points after after five games, which is a, a great haul considering it took us about four years to achieve that last season. But what you saw in the second half was someone like. Bamford. We're not there yet. We're, We're still, still in the first, first. Oh, we can half. Stay, we can stay in the and, first. We can stay in the first. And Trezeguet, I thought, was all right in his, the first his work, half. Oh, his work rate's excellent. His work rate's excellent. But it's it's those moments that, that separate you from being the hardworking, I suppose, the engine on that flank and, and scoring a really, you know, he scored some valuable goals for us on the running, don't get me wrong. But... That was, I thought that was a key moment for me where you had a bit of a gimme where a bit more, bit more composure, a bit more intelligence on the ball and, and you get a shot off. Well, we, we'll use those say, same phrases when we discuss another player uh, <laughs> later <laughs> on. <laughs> kind of applies to a few uh, Villa yeah, players yeah. Uh, when, you, when you think about and it. And just before we wrap up the first half, what I will say is Matty Cash had one of the best defensive displays and this was a sign of things to come because he was under serious pressure in that first half. I lost count of how many yeah. inter- interceptions he's made, and I did notice today. I think he's got the second highest number of interceptions behind Kante. But but you could see he was yeah. trying to keep his head above water, yep. and something needed to be tweaked. You could, you could. 
I thought you were going to say something. Well, I, I'm, I'm reluctant my next comment's going to be about the second half because I think what we saw was the difference between... Well, we're going to get into that in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> we, saw, we saw what the danger is of being static with your, your tactical decisions. You know, Bielsa made a decision 20, 25 minutes in when, when their midfielder yeah, 21st was... 21st minute. ...was clearly going to be um, red-carded and their system wasn't working. And to, you know, you can contrast it with, with the... Uh, cash situation where he was he was coping but was having to play out of his skin to to, to deal with that and we, we did nothing to prevent that ball getting pumped into that space time and time and time again and, and they, they worked out that the law of averages they get chances through there they were isolate i mean as i said before they were isolating the fullbacks mm. and this applies to target yeah, as well yeah. they would have two running at him and the, the center back had that decision, does he hold his position or does he come and, you know, and help his full back out? The problem is there seems to be a lack of uh, covering from the actual midfield. The midfield seems to lose its discipline. And the organisation of the Villa defence has been exceptional as, you know, as the results prove in terms of how many clean sheets we've had and goals conceded. But Leeds' hustle and the speed they did it at just seems to flummox uh, that organisation because we had no answer. And the amount of times that Cash had two men coming at him was something that should have been sorted out at half-time adventure. But and when it came uh, the, the second half, I mean, it all swung in that five minutes because Villa had two exceptional chances to uh, take the lead potentially change the direction of the game. Although I think if we had gone 1-0 up, I think the next goal would have been a Leeds equaliser. Well, you say that, but again, we'll go back to the Wolves game. I mean, Wolves scored that one goal and Leeds, it, it, it does rattle Leeds a bit when they go behind. I mean, most of the Leeds' games, it's go out there, blitz the other team and, you know, have the game won, which is what the, they ended up doing. But if if you get them going behind and then you really just need to take your chances against them, it's as, it's as simple as that. Although you know, I've just I've just said that I would tend to agree with you that Villa could probably get a bit deeper and uh, defend that Leeds kind of rush a bit more because they're not caught on the back foot, are they? It's Leeds running to Villa rather than uh, running past. Yes, them. because despite despite all that, Villa did have attacking intent for the whole ninety minutes. There there wasn't really yeah. any sitting at all. There was no well, some may say there's no defensive thought at all. It, it was almost a firefight, and but we lost badly. So Chris, talk me through those two chances. Well, I mean, Grealish is, you know, close to scoring possibly one of the greatest Villa Park goals, if that goes in, you know, ever. You know, obviously he picks the ball up and they sort of just, just past the edge of his own box and just drives, doesn't he? It's, it's the, that's the Jack Grealish everybody loves to see where he's just got that intent and it's, he just, you know, he's just in full in full flow. He takes about, he takes it past about four or five players, gets to the edge of the penalty. I mean, it's that great moment right in the middle of the pitch where he, he two players are coming to him and, I mean, his timing is ex- exceptional. They they come to him, and just as they just as they come to him, he slows down, and then he kicks it forward really quickly, and they they can't change their pace, and obviously turn around, and he blazes through them. Yeah, and then obviously by the it's time like change he, um, of speed, by the time he gets to the edge of the box, now you're thinking, right, go on, go all the way now, and then he kind of takes it, he cuts it inside towards sort of the towards the penalty spot. You think, right now, pull the trigger, and then you got Watkins to your right. You think now's your decision, and this is and this is could be the decision that would make or break the game. If you, you either take the shot then and bury it, and you can you can put it to the keeper's left, high or low, and you probably score, or you can put it you can use the defender as a shield and put it to the keeper's right, which is more what he did against uh, Liverpool when he was clean through. Slightly different scenario. Yeah. Or you've got to square it, and Watkins you would expect to bury that chance. He takes it further, 
and then actually the keeper almost kind of goes to ground. You think actually if he if he is a little bit more composed in front of goal, he can still just lift it over the keeper or he can smack it in the top corner, a bit like you know, the famous Michael Owen finish. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course from the resulting corner, Konza has a has a, a good chance. The keeper makes a great save. Um and within a couple of minutes they go up the other end, you know, they get the the half chance. Martinez makes the save. I think, you know, Mings gets caught a little bit unluckily with the way the, the ball bounces out but on his heels and, and Bamford slots it in well. Because uh, just going back to the the, uh, the Grealish run, I mean, I mean, just before that, in the the first half, uh, Grealish had that one that's cleared off the line, which was uh, very unlucky and, and and an outstanding piece of defending by Leeds, the uh, the goal line clearance. But sorry, going back to that Grealish run, there is a school of thought that Watkins is standing there like he's waiting for the you know number fifty bus or something. And he should be like arms out screaming for it, you know, pretty much like Conor Horan does when, you know, when he's on the edge of the box and he, he sees it, you know, a shot's on and he kind of calls for the ball with both arms out. Watkins kind of just standing there, you know, waiting to see what happens. And should he really be demanding it so he helps Grealish make up so. his mind? You'd think so. There's a, there's a little bit of, I don't know if it's necessary, should he pull rank? I don't, I don't know about that. But I think it's, if he's in that position where Jack's like this, the, the obvious pass is on, I think the ball goes. but. It's almost like he's, he's. I don't know whether he's, you know, um, waiting for Watkins to take another step with him just to open the space up, and he's, and then Watkins stays. So whether you know Watkins is expecting the pass, he doesn't think it's going to come, so he stops. It's, yeah. it's that split second thing that maybe a few in a few weeks' time, when they're a little bit better on the wavelength, you know, when you've got that sort of natural telepathy between players, you know, that that might come. But I, I do think once Jack gets anywhere near the edge of that penalty area, Watkins should be. That's when a good striker comes to life. And this happened in the Leicester game uh, as well that Grealish did. When he starts his dribble, you think, oh, shit. And, but then he you know, does this amazing thing, gets gets through two or three players, and then he's off. But but then there's that moment where he needs to release it. But after you've done all that kind of miracle, the, the adrenaline's pumping and off you go and you think you're going to go all the way. And that's the uh, that's where he's got to be a bit more mature, I think. Do you not think there's a there's a couple of things that I think have been mess, misty? I, I mentioned in the the previous pod a bit of a reverence towards him from from other yeah. players that that yeah. you know he's the he's the marquee talisman player. The other thing that occurred to me because this that, that clip's been shown over and over and over in the mainstream media as though you know this is the example as to why Southgate hasn't picked him and it vindicates that yeah. plonker Durham on on Talksport this idea that he needs coaching. Actually, for, for Grealish, if you wind the clock back just a mere matter of weeks ago, who was he laying that ball off to? And I think yeah. it's ingrained in Grealish. To I think there's there's a couple of, of 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 weird things about that move is that he'd done that entire move, his head down, and you put me in the same put. I think yeah, any any player in that uh, anyone played football in the same position, you're looking to score the world, aren't you? That's the oh, of course, the you are. You've, you've almost earned the right, haven't you? Yeah, I, I think yeah. there's there's some of that about it, and I, I don't begrudge him that. Um, and the other thing is, I, I you know, it wasn't so long ago he didn't have anyone around him who you think, well, do you know what? He, he probably was the man. Yeah. Um, so, so I think it might be a little bit a case of, am, am I justifying Durham's point here, that, that maybe a bit of coaching that you've got some capability around you now. Um, not necessarily to take the pressure off, but... It's a well, trust I would, thing. I would look, yeah, I would look at last season to, to counter that. I mean, I'm thinking of three goals. I'm thinking of his goal at the edge of the box against Southampton, where he hit it. It went in. His goal against Burnley, where he hit it. And it went in, and the goal against West Ham on the final day, and those were all ones where there, there was no excess dribbling, there was no sort of hesitation. It was ball, net, 
bang, it was, it was done. It was a, a choice. It's um, you don't want to use the excuse that since he's been away at England and he's came back, that it's um, is he trying too hard? Yeah, there... I, I don't, I don't buy into that mentality at all. I don't, I don't think he is at all. And I think he's just, it's almost possibly confidence. It's like, you know what, I'm going to go for this. Yeah, well, there's that. And I don't think the he's trying is, too hard. Mm, well. And we'll, to go back to Watkins, if Watkins screams for that ball, what he does is he, he drags a defender over with him, giving Grealish uh, more of an opening to have the shot. So by yeah. standing there, silent, not moving, he is in space. But by the end of it, Jack ends up having to slalom around him to get the shot as well. Yeah. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. I mean, there's that uh, anomaly game with Liverpool where everything just clicked into place. And it's almost like uh, they've been playing together for, you know, 50, 60 games. But we have to remember that uh, that seems to be, you know, on the basis of that Leicester game and the Leeds game, that seems to be a bit freakish. And the natural scheme of things is they would need a few games to get really up and running and on the same wavelength. So yeah. you yeah, kind of mitigate things like this and hopefully, uh, you know, Grealish just get wise to it. I think there were some freakish things about the game anyway, is that, that you know, how the game turned on Leeds's first goal as well. And the fact that... There were some strange things within our own team around some individual performances, but also that Bamford scored. I mean, two of the three goals were exceptional finishes. Um, you know, whereas I, I think that he had easier chances in the game, you know, and didn't yeah. take them, and um, particularly in the second, uh, first half, beg your pardon. Um, but you know, to counter that with when you look into the through the prism of say the Liverpool game, you 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 couldn't say that Barkley had as a comparable performance as to the others that we've seen. Um, yeah. McGinn was, I mean, for, for, for all of the progress, if you like, from his recuperation from injury and, and his recovery from that and his performance for Scotland. Um, well, he's going to be the engine of the uh, midfield. So he's the one who's hopefully going to try to match uh, the energy that Leeds uh, put on. But I mean, you know, D- Douglas Louise uh, was in the, was in a situation where he was pretty much neutralised because they weren't going through that centre no, of... No. Uh, of you know around the uh, the edge of the eight, uh, eighteen, and it, you know there was one clip I remember watching him, and he was just like you know looking left and right, and the ball was just whizzing past him, and he was you know completely neutralised out of the game, and there was long periods of the game where I, I didn't even see him again. No, and and I think that again that from a tactical point of view, we we have to get quicker, we have to we have to we have to respond to what's actually in front of us. That that you know we're we're not going to talk about the cliche plan A, plan B thing. I think that it's just about sometimes football's no more complicated than, than reacting to what you can actually see in front of you. And Well, how many times have we played Leeds recently? I yeah. mean, we've, we've played three seasons in the championship and we know, mm. you know, we know how they play. I mean, that game where we were 2-0 up at half time, we pretty much <laughs> had two shots on target. Yeah. We should have been absolutely hammered by half time. They were all over us. They, 
again they were shit at finishing uh, yeah, yeah. then and you know they need so many chances to stick some away but we know how they play we know they blew us away at Villa Park in that game so it's not as if we were taken by surprise, is what I'm saying. No, and and it's it's been a criticism of. Uh, I mean, it's not not confined to to Smith and his team, but but learning from our mistakes a little bit. But there there were things that we repeated in the game that which we didn't learn from, and uh, but not all of it comes down to tactical decisions from the bench either. That there was there was things that we allowed to do at Leeds to do in between the fullbacks, particularly where you thought, wow, they've played that move over and over and over again. What what aren't we you know what aren't we seeing here? Um, but, but I do think as well that, you know, we have to remember in isolation it's one game. And I, I do think there are a number of subpar individual performances. And you just have to, and ultimately you have to give Leeds credit as well. Yeah. In terms of, in terms of getting there, you know, all they, the didn't credit, they didn't fade. They didn't fade, definitely. No. I mean, our heads went. They, they had that tight turnaround as well, the Monday yeah. night game. I mean, that was the thing when you saw Smith's post-match. He said, I was pretty happy with everything until the first goal went in. And then, you know, mm. for about you know, 35, 40 minutes... The reaction just wasn't good enough. No, and and I think that when we did try to do make that change that we bought, uh, I think it was at two nil. I think Traore came on, and very quickly we were we were three nil down, um, and that was that was really a nullified that change where I, I wasn't hundred percent. I could see what Smith was trying to do with that change, but I wasn't hundred percent sure that it was the right one. But uh, there is that situation where. It's hard to. I mean, we discussed this in the but uh, Patreon pod, where yeah. the only way you could really switch it up. I, in an ideal world, you think right, bring on the uh, the enforcer and uh, player that can mm. break it up. Bring on the camber, but we're not convinced by him uh, so far that he would no. be good enough to stop leads in their tracks. So the only other thing was was bringing on Keenan Davis mm. to play up top with. Uh, but then you, you're weakening the midfield, which has already been swamped, but it gives you that kind of more longer ball option. And, you know, if Grealish is doing that kind of run, he's got that one-two he can play off for uh, Davis that will mm. probably hopefully set up, open up a shot. Mm-hmm. We never we never got up ahead of steam because I think because of the pace that Leeds played and they pinned our fullbacks back really well. You know, you looked, you know, they had Alioski, who's essentially a winger playing as a fullback, and mm-hmm. he was mm-hmm. going past his winger. You mm-hmm. never saw in this game compared to Liverpool and even Leicester, to be fair, you never saw Target bombing on. You never really saw Cash in the final third. They were basically a flat four because they mm-hmm. couldn't get forward. And then whenever, obviously, Jack would kind of roam, and that's his game, but it was it was almost like we needed to play like an away team and be very, very rigid and trust ourselves to hit on the break. I think we were... We try to open the game up when actually potentially the way to beat someone like Leeds is you are going to have to be compact. And I don't think we were. You have to kind of maybe spoil a little bit. And I think because of the previous run of games, you know, ultimately when you've won four on the bounce and you've got essentially a newly promoted side at home, you think, well, this is our, you know, our responsibility is to take the onus to the opposition and go and win the game. And while I accept yeah. that, I think you do have to have a, a tactic for each game. And generally Smith's got it right the last, you know, eight eight or nine games, I, th- I think in the Leeds game, you saw that they were confident in the plan, but it probably wasn't the right plan for that specific game. Yeah, they almost had to be a bit humble and actually respect yeah, the way Leeds more, play. Little, absolutely, a little bit more pragmatic and say, Do you know what, we, we know we've got the tools to hurt them. And clearly we did. We, we saw enough to suggest that we could have hurt them. But actually, we, at times, we need to shut the game down and... And have yeah. a little bit of shit house. Take the sting out of the game if we can. Keep the ball. Tell the ball boys not to throw the ball back so quick. Yeah, and, and just <laughs> that kind of thing. And get the ball off the field if needs be. You don't necessarily always need to play your way out. Just get it off the field. Regroup. Get your shape. Because once Leeds get past your press, Villa were in trouble every time. 
because of the tempo mm. they played at. And then because we couldn't get men up the field fast enough, you can't get enough people up to support, you know, Watkins or Grealish or, you know, Trezeguet was having to do a lot of work defensively and, you know, fair play to him for that. But Leeds nullified our, you know, the, the wide option really to actually get the ball into the box. And there was very little service um, in terms of like crosses. Um, and I think, you know, again, you just, you have to give Leeds credit for that. No, you do. And, and I think that we've said before that, that, one of the problems of modern football is that game to game it can become a you know some of the reaction in, in you look again through that prism of social media you you would think that we've just been relegated by the way that some people react to, to the to the result yeah there's concerning things about the, some of the individual performances I'd say but it, we've there can sometimes be a very very short memory as to where we were not so long ago and this is a this is a vastly improved Villa team that that will hopefully learn uh, and you know we've played it's just Leeds, one game as well it's just one game in isolation you know against I'll, a talented team who have a style that can give any team a problem and Absolutely. they've got momentum haven't they they've got that plucky newly promoted thing going on where they've got momentum they believe it and I think they've got that attitude of fuck it let's just go for teams and, and they're very lose. well drilled Chris as well yeah, that's they the are. thing that they, they are they haven't changed in, and this is why they didn't get promoted season on season they have got some flaws as well you know they've can before they came to Villa Park the other night you know that you can see where teams have hurt them. I mean, we, we didn't take our chances either through good stops on the line or some poor finishing or whatever. Um, I, and I do think that the, our, our, the thing that will inhibit us this season will be what we saw when Smith did come to make a change is that we are halfway through, even if we're halfway through, a, a rebuild project to make us Premier League competitive because not all teams are like Leeds, not all teams are like Leicester. You've, you've got to have that Borg-like adaptability, I think is how we put it, it, within our locker. And when you looked onto the bench, you can see that it's, you know, even when I was starting 11, it's vastly improved over last season. Some people have said in uh, the Mad Few group, the Facebook group uh, of listeners to this show, uh, James Kenevy says, I mean, we've spoken about this before, the lack of depth in the squad. Is there a lack of depth in the squad? Have we got the bench that can change a game if needed? I, I don't think we have until, I mean, Wesley probably. I mean, it's, it's that sounds like a big thing, but... Uh, I think that it's a bit of a yes and no answer he, to he that He will one. become a player, yeah. It's a bit of a yes and no because you look at someone like Horahan and the number of times he's come off the bench and made something happen, he can make things happen. But I think it was yeah. just an, such an isolated game, like I don't think that would have been a game where you would have started, Connor. I think he would have got run run on top of by a team yeah. like Leeds. But I think if you were... Because we didn't really have many set pieces around the box. It isn't like you thought, are we really missing Connor's set piece delivery or something like that? Or, you know, Keenan Davis has, you know, especially in the last four games of the season, he was a really good foil for someone like Trezeguet. And I remember at the, uh, the game at Goodison Park, he bullied them all over the field. He could have done that, but I think you have to not only, not only have the the backup of personnel, you have to have... I'm, I'm not going to use the word plan B, but you have to have that other way of playing, even within your system, to say, right, do you know what? If we're having our midfield bypassed, we're going to have to try and bypass theirs. Are you go long, go direct, try and try something yeah. different rather than this, you know, we play our way and we'll stick to it. Because when you're 3-0 down, your way is clearly not working. Yeah, I think we'll have the depth of squad for the formation we play, but we don't have the depth of squad to change formation in any way. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Do we have enough strength in the squad to push in terms of depth to push for a European place or do the 11 just pick themselves? This is, sorry, Alan Hipkiss. Do our fullbacks lack protection? We look strong down the middle. In terms of depth for a European place, I think I think the first 11's 
pretty good. And uh, if they stay out of injuries, stay around till December. If we're in the top six or so in December, that might persuade the powers that be to uh, you know get reinforcements. Yeah, I think you're you're looking ideally to have pr- probably another, if you can, another match winner in that you yeah. know sort of forward five or six players. Um, I, I don't I don't see where you're going to get it personally but well i think barkley was a bonus oh, yeah, match yeah. winner and mm, you're definitely. gonna you're gonna hope that watkins is one ultimately for the, the amount of money we yeah, pay and you, and you just don't know what wesley you're gonna get back I yeah mean, it could be that he just gets back and he clicks you, you, you just don't know that that's going to be a, a real jury's out kind of moment i think if keenan davis comes to the party he's potentially a very different tool but again leads in isolation by the time we could have made the change you've lost the game phil you're playing Leeds in the second game at Ellen Road. What are you doing different with the same personnel? With the same personnel, I'm telling the fullbacks that it, I know we said they were pushed back. I'm telling them not to even think about going forward. You have to accept when you're playing Leeds that they are going to come at you and the ball is going to go into your box a lot, so be ready for it. Then you're also telling your midfield, I mean, our midfield against Leeds, they all stuck to their positions very statically. Yeah. When when the ball's over to the right, you're going to need a three out of that four midfield. You know, the only one not to move across would be the winger on the other side. You're going to need them all to go across to whatever side the ball's at because that's what Leeds do. They twos and threes go into all these positions. It's not so much hunting and packs. Yeah, it. it's, it's just options everywhere. I mean, the, that's the thing. They're so fit and they, they get into so many positions that the players don't even need to be that you know technically good because they always have two or three easy balls on on either side of the Villa player. And by doing yeah. that all over the pitch, they just work their way into the box. And then you can see as long as Bamford doesn't morph in the prime Ronaldo, we'll be fine. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 I just, I just try and you, you try and slow the game down at any given opportunity. Moving on, uh, next up is Southampton, which uh, I mean they've just beaten Everton. It's another litmus test, as you've said, isn't it? It's a, it's a different type it's of a 50-50, litmus test. Fifty-fifty. Yes. It's very much that. But I mean, these are all. I think a lot of these games are still. Uh, it's, it's, we. I don't think we've rubber stamped ourselves as some kind of top team because we won the first four games. No, We're still. No. Uh, we're still learning what we are. So to as speak. a lot and of teams are really. Ten are saying games in this, this league this season because of the no crowd situation. And, you know, it affects the kind of attitude of players. That, I mean, just the, the climate per se that you're getting. Like, it's it's going to be a crazy season, I think. And unless Liverpool, for example, decide to kick for home already. Well, the big thing for Southampton will be that Ferguson cliche bounce back ability. I know that's what Smith had mentioned as well, that... With the, the, the next litmus test is okay how can Villa deal with a little bit of adversity how can you deal with taking a knock can they dust themselves down to use a brucism and go out we, and, we know about ourselves in adversity because that's all we've been through yeah. the last few years but it's actually, so, can uh, we just you know can we keep I don't the, think um, we have a problem with adversity no but it's different I think when you're a bit higher up the league because I think it's, it's about keeping the, the ship going in the right direction now because I think all of a sudden if, if you start the way you start but then you lose two home games in games that with all due respect to Leeds and Southampton, you would hope to get results in. Not if you necessarily win them no, both. I, I, wouldn't, but... I wouldn't be that bold. I'd, I would not be surprised if Southampton beat us. Not surprised at all. The thing about Saints is that a lot of people think back to that hammering they got from Leicester, don't they? And, and that was a an anomalous result. Well, it was a turning point for them. I mean, they got a very, very good coach. The, the thing about well, they lost. I mean, he was almost out because they lost the next three games after they got beat nine nil by Leicester. They, they did, and it and it and it corresponded with them losing. He was a double act, you see, and the 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 other coach um, had left. Ralph Hassan Hutzel. Mm, and but they've got one of the best uh, win ratios since then, haven't they? Um, uh, I don't know about that. I mean, since they lost nine nil, they've won sixteen of their thirty four top flight games. 
So taking 54 points from 102. So, yeah, I think it's like, what, above average yeah, or something? I'll do them, I'm sure. Um, but then I wouldn't, they're not a gimme, that's for sure. No. I mean, can, can you imagine Danny Ings playing up front for Leeds? That would be yeah, we'd, we'd have been sunk. You see, that that's what you're going to be against Southampton. You're not going to have six people attacking you in one time. You're going to have a very focused Danny Ings and Shea Adams sort of attack that works well together, supported by... They'll me. have less chances, yeah. yeah, less chances, but more uh, convertibility, yeah, more expected goals. <laughs> that's actually a very good point. I mean, Ings is a, is a, is a far, far superior striker to, to Bamford, isn't he, that, um, in terms well, of range of finishing. About but... the the form striker in the league of the, this calendar year, probably. Uh, yeah, most likely, I'd say. It'd be a very interesting game, and I think it, it, from a, you know, I, I can't speak for the fan base, I can only speak for me, but it, we have to temper our expectations against the fact that a mere matter of weeks ago, we, we could have been very realistic, realistically been in the championship. You know, we've had a fantastic start that we can use as a platform for, for really kicking on and saying, you know, is mid-table possible? That, that would be an achievement for me. But we talk about Europe. Well, that's that's a that's a leap. Yes. Um, and I think to stay. But people get excited yeah, uh, and and puts puts it's almost like uh, being at the bloody roulette wheel and everybody <laughs> all everybody's all in on one one game yeah, one yeah. number. But it, it's it's the I mean that's the good thing about football, isn't it? That's what you know you you, you start anal- over analysing the table and. You know, the one thing I really hope that we see at Southampton is that I, it's a must win, Dan. It's a must win. <laughs> the thing that like, every every game was must win. Else, we'd have been in that godforsaken division again, scraping around, saying, "Oh, Mister Codger, could you come back?" Um, <laughs> oh, Hogan. <laughs> but the, the reality now is that you're looking at the table and you're thinking, and this is the crazy thing that I'm about to say. I can't believe I'm about to say it. This is such a crazy season, and having seen some of the results, some of the defending, I hope we don't repeat some of the crap defending I saw against Leeds because up until then I thought we, we, we were so improved not just statistically but I think we looked really good um, yep. I think if we can hold that together I think it gives you a, the ability to say I, I would expect us to place quite well I'm not I mean I'm not going to put my neck on the line and say that we're a top top team as I've mentioned uh, already this is a team I mean the, the Liverpool thing's an anomaly mm. and this is a team getting to know itself but you look at that midfield and you think that's that's pretty tasty Got swept away against Leeds, uh, well, in the second half. But I think if it learns how uh, you know how to dictate games and uh, enforces its will on on games, then uh, we should be all right. I'd agree with you that. Know, injuries permitting, so it's still in a learning process. I think. Uh, anyway, just uh, let's just wrap off this uh, Leeds thing. Uh, Bielsa, underrated or overrated? Underrated by Villa fans, overrated by the media. Well, that's an excellent answer. Great, which I great way, yeah, it's a great way of putting it. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with, with Phil on that. I'm, I'm yeah, standing behind that. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think he's, I think he's, a, uh, he's, I, I he's think a good he's manager, right. but he's not the second coming of Christ. But he's a good, he's a character, and, and we've lost some characters in the game mm. in terms of the managers. And we were getting a load of, uh, you know, these managers that are coming in, coaching your Watfords and your Southamptons, and you know, there's, there's no real identity there. They have a good season and they disappear. But he's like somebody that's uh, everybody knows who he is now, and he's you know he's a good uh, character. I'll be interested to see how Leeds uh, fare this season. Uh, I asked this question in uh, the Patreon extra. I'm going to ask it again. Who finishes higher, Leeds or Villa? I have to stick on my answer and say Villa. Yeah. I wish I could remember my answer. Um, <laughs> 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 I. I <laughs> I think over a season, I think that we'll finish. We'll, we should finish higher than Leeds. Yeah, I think we can just about. I think we'll be probably in and around each other, though. To be honest, 
Yeah, I'm not going to say what I said uh, on the Patreon extra. Right, speaking of uh, under or overrated. It's time for that equation in a villa context. We're just going to do one person because we've been waffling on uh, about Leeds uh, for a while now. And uh, I I could never say his first Christian name. What is it? Alpai Ozalan. Ozalan, that's it. The, the mighty Ozalan Alpi. So underrated and overrated is where we uh, we look back and uh, see if our memories have been warped by anything uh, or uh, if we were deluded in the first place and hindsight has corrected our uh, foolishness. So Mr. Alpi, he's, a, he's, he's somebody who went from hero to zero uh, pretty swiftly. Oh, hugely. But, uh, why, did, hugely. why did we get him in the first place. Well, this was another one of John Gregory's glamorous foreign signings, wasn't it, in an era when he loved uh, dipping into the international market, <laughs> should we say. With a, pl- a player who had three agents, apparently. There's one for the current you know, well, yeah. times of like multiple ownership and stuff. We bought him from Fenerbahce after um, Euro 2000. The, the, that Turkish team they at the good. start of that year was, were, were decent. They were good in that era, weren't they? And um, so he would, he would, he'd have come in around about the same time as... Uh, Olaf Melberg and, of course, Peter Schmeichel. So we'd kind of rebuilt a defence that had obviously had the pieces taken out of it the previous season with the likes of, you know, Ekiog, Southgate had both gone. So we'd kind of pieced the defence back together and, and Gregory was essentially rebuilding, you know, a back four. So early on, he was, he was pretty solid. First for Villa, season, he was great. Yeah. Very impressive. And it was, he had that, you know, the, it was one of those sort of quirky personalities where he'd come out and run up to the whole tent and try and G the crowd up every every home game, which to begin with the crowd grew to. And then, of course, the, the longer it went on, everybody just sort of thought, is this guy for real? Is he still doing this? It was almost like Savo with his bandanas. You know, the first time he did it was quite interesting. Soon, but... soon to be replaced by uh, Tommy Elphick's headbutting of the... Uh, in the posts. The goalposts. Yeah. yeah. Give me Alpine's G'ing up any day. Phil, big fan of the Alpine man. He was an absolute shit house. There is no other word for it. I can only imagine. I can only imagine having to play against him. I mean, he's physical, imposing, and everything else. And he then could play a bit though as well, couldn't he? Yeah, and but if you just imagine if you're in the ground and he's going to help you up, he's the one that's going to like lift you up by your own skin to help you up rather than the shirt. <laughs> <laughs> a bit like what Mings did on Bamford. Yeah. I was thinking about uh, we needed a bit more shit house probably when we played Leeds. Absolutely, just break the game. We've got break, quiet break, shit yeah, house. I mean, break the game. Doug, up and- Dougie Louise is a quiet shit house. On the, he's on the shit house on the sly. No, you definitely needed an overt one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want <laughs> you want the opposition to know that uh, there's shit houseery afoot. Dan, any memories of uh, Mister Alpi? Well, he always sticks in my mind for being completely certifiably insane i mean that, yeah, that, bonkers. <laughs> that does, does stick in the mind at a time where villa were trying to construct and you know themselves into a top side but it, you know european competition I, I think for me he sticks as one of the classic players who impresses at an international tournament over four, five, six games, who immediately gets elevated to world-class player. And we all knew as Villa fans. <laughs> we'll ruin him. We'll he made team him. of the tournament, didn't he? And uh... Well, to give it context, this is the 2002 World yeah. Cup where Turkey marched on into the semi-final and not lost narrowly to Brazil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alpai was playing, then they went on to beat South Korea 3-2 in the third and fourth playoff. Mm. So he came back from that, I would imagine, as Billy Big Bollocks. <laughs> 
And I think that's the kind of period where the attitude uh, and probably took hold a bit. Who, who, who are you talking to? I'm third in the World Cup. And this is when we had Graham Taylor had arrived, hadn't he? And things started to fray, yeah. And he was obviously, you know, as you said, a bit big, big bollocks. And you know, even like you know, Taylor came out and said he just he just couldn't be trusted. You know, he rated him very highly as a player, but you just you never knew what he was going to say or how he was going to act. I like the quote. I have managed hundreds of players <laughs> throughout my. This is Graham Taylor, the the late Graham Taylor. I have managed hundreds of players throughout my career, and it is impossible to get on well with everyone. There'll always be problems, but Alfie. I like that name, Alfie. But Alfie was a major disappointment to me because he could not be trusted. I never knew from one day to another what he was going to say or how he was going to act, or indeed whether I would get another message that he was ill and could not report for training. Mm. That meant yet another visit by the club doctor. That sounds like he was trying to uh, get out there. Yeah, and then of course there was. The, when when um, did the uh, the golden balls? Uh, that would have been the, Was that in the Euros when we played him in the playoffs? Two, played him the two thousand Euros, wasn't it? It was. No, it was a bit late. It was two thousand and four. Yeah, it was after. Yeah, we, that was, we this played in, in his we, decline. We played yeah. Turkey in the playoffs to get uh, through to that yes. one because remember the second leg at Stadium of Light kicked off. Mm-hmm. Big time in the ground and outside as well. And Beckham skied a penalty, didn't he? And yes. I think he was yeah. in Istanbul and he was like, you know, rubbing his hands. And, and, and it's all overnight, he pretty much became public enemy number one in England. Because he, he, he didn't he have a go at him in the, in the, kicked uh, off in the tunnel the as tunnel. well? Yeah. yeah. And, he was, yeah. And, um, and then it kicked off again in the second leg. He didn't spit on him, did he? No, he wasn't Savo. And, um, but it was pretty, pretty there was heated, some kind of altercation he, yeah. between both yeah, of and them. And he became yeah. sort of public enemy number one. Yeah, they were like effigies being hung with his, you know, villa shirt on in Birmingham before the second leg. And I mean, luckily, England, yeah. England won that second leg. Off. I think Vassell scored actually in that game. There's some great stuff in the press about him at the time. And uh, before we recorded, I did did read over some articles from from the day, if you like. And, and as, as what Phil was saying about him being a complete shithouse, he, he, com- he comes back, you know, Billy Big Bollocks from from the World Cup, demanding 50% pay rise. When he, when he, <laughs> and he did have, there was something in this, by the way, because he comes back, he's just been, bear in mind, he's just been named in FIFA's team of the tournament. And he arrives to find out he's training with Mark Kinsella, J. Lloyd Samuel and Marcus Orbach. <laughs> and then he's unsatisfied. <laughs> And his, his quote in the press was, I do not want to stay at Villa. I think I will play at Leeds for this season. <laughs> <laughs> Very fit. It's like he knew we were going to record years yeah, later. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the big one I remember was... That's, um, that's why it's mentioned. There's the connection. Yeah, the, I, I remember the, the um, podcast. almost one of his parting gifts was we, we played uh, Charlton at Villa Park and he scored his solitary goal for Villa. And he basically had been getting pelters from the whole end all game, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then scored, and basically just told the you know, did the old uh, you know shut up fingers on the lips yeah, to the whole the end, and got even more you know barrage. And then I think in the end, Doug Ellis decided you know later on that um, he just couldn't stay. Then he ended up having to like release him from the contract, and his career sort of nosedived for, for his that. own safety. I mean, this is this is a this is a a sign of quite how hated he was in the UK at the time. He's listed in in a, in a <laughs> In a list of six most, if you were to speak to, if you were to randomly survey a group of British people at the time, he was included in a list alongside, this is of hated, hated people, Benito Mussolini, Nick Cotton, Harold Shipman, Darth Vader and George Osborne. And he's in the list. <laughs> <laughs> With Nick Cotton of EastEnders. I love how Mussolini are dictators in the same list as Alpine. Uh, and a mass murderer of Harold Shipman. Nick Cotton and Darth Vader. <laughs> he's fictional. <laughs> Last time I checked. 
so, uh, uh, Phil, what's he? Uh, where was he last seen? Well, moving on from dictators, <laughs> um, <laughs> he, he or evolving. Yeah, he, he's now a politician in his native Turkey for the <laughs> Justice and Development <laughs> Party, which I had a, <laughs> I had the a quick, AKP. Yeah, I had a quick scan down his Twitter feed, mm. and apart from like a. A weird new Sasha Baron Cohen film. It's quite disturbing. I mean, he loves his, his imagery and standing very tall and raising his arms mm. and flapping them about a lot. Um, but <laughs> I'll, let, I'll let anybody that wants to look into his political leanings go down that and hit the translate button and see where they go. <laughs> Off I go. It's, 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 it's a rabbit hole, to say the least. Go on, go, yes. read, that, read that translation out. Go on. Well, one of the highlights was, we know very well that Europe, which tries to teach about freedom of belief and expression, is a monster with only one tooth left under the mask of civilization. Wow. Wow. <laughs> we'll decipher that one. Is he, uh, he going to get in? Or has he got an election I think, I think he's in? already in. Oh, he's in. <laughs> with his moderate his views, job. are you surprised? <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> underrated or overrated? Mr. Alpi. I mean, I'd give him uh, underrated as a character. <laughs> but, uh... He's a pretty good baddie, isn't he? Oh, he's the, he's the epitome of a pantomime <laughs> villain, isn't he? Mm. Considering yeah. we've, you know, in that era, especially you know, when he left under o- O'Leary, we had some very forgettable players. You'd never forget him. If you're going to play in England, you don't take on the, the most beloved player and uh, basically turn into the country's number one villain. He was our Harold Shipman. After Darth Vader. <laughs> And they did result in us having to have Ronnie Johnson at centre-half, who had no knees at that point. And you don't shush your own fans as no. well. Underrated or overrated? Overrated. Underrated. Overrated. Overrated. What did you go, Phil? I went underrated. I mean, if you're, <laughs> if you're in the team of the World <laughs> Cup... underrated I, as well. If you're in the team of the World Cup and you're future r- ruler of the whole world, then you have to be underrated. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Speaks sense, this film. So, I'm just, I'm just going to go with... Uh, Underrated as a player, massively overrated as a person. Up and coming politician. Yeah. <laughs> no world leader, dictator. Well, when he's in charge, he'll, I hope he has listened to this podcast and he remembers who he said what about him. <laughs> when, he's, when he's lining people up for execution. When he's in, ah, in Darth ah, on the Death Star. Those boys there, they said I was underrated. They give them a pardon. No, give them a job. They can be on the execution squad. Oh, there's Dan Rogers. Get kill him. <laughs> I'll be long gone. <laughs> <laughs> there's one of those overrated boys. <laughs> Pele will have got me by then. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, that was quite an interesting one, Mr. Alpi. So, uh, Full marks for personality, though. Oh, very good. Yeah, I mean, the whole Beckham thing. Half of you is going, you, you know, what are you doing? Oh, the other half's going, yeah, it's You've got to laugh, haven't you? <laughs> Shouldn't have missed that penalty. Fucking dreadful penalty as well. He'd be great in Villa training another minute, wouldn't he? He'd have, he'd have been another one. He'd have head-butted Yotta. <laughs> <laughs> right, enough of that tomfoolery. Did Alpine ever got his dream of playing for Leeds, though, did he? No. No, he ended up going and playing in Japan. When no one in Europe would touch him. Well, that's where he had a good time, in the World Cup. He was a god because it was, you know, South Korea, Japan, World Cup, where he was uh, player of the, uh, in the FIFA top 11. So they probably uh, had screaming Japanese uh, fans outside of his hotel every night. Anyway, let's get out of here. We uh, dust ourselves down as our Invincibles badge drops to the floor and rolls down the drain and gets swept down the sewerage pipe and pumped out <laughs> into the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> All right. But the good news is Everton lost against Southampton. The uh, inform 
on-the-rise Southampton with their mercurial Danny Ings, even though when he's not scoring, he's bagging a brace of assists. So watch out for him. But uh, if COVID stopped football tomorrow and uh, the Premier League decided, I think they would have a minimum of games and it's uh, it'd probably have to be at least in double figures. But hypothetically, if they did stop the league tomorrow, Aston Villa would be crowned champions. So... On that note, please do subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple, or whatever else you listen to. Also, if you can, please do become a My Old Man Said patron and join us in Match Club for the Saints game and beyond. And uh, until we find that Invincibles badge for next season, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from them. Goodbye. 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 Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.